Welcome to Intuitive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Ackerman, the Intuitive RD. I'm a non-diet registered dietitian and intuitive eating coach. My mission is to help women recover from diet culture and heal their relationship to food and body. Follow along as I speak with leading professionals in the field and explore concepts of intuitive eating, health at every size, and body liberation. This episode of Intuitive Bites podcast is brought to you by my online intuitive eating courses. Take your food and body healing journey to the next level with these self-paced online courses. If you're brand new to this topic, check out my Introduction to Intuitive Eating course. If you're looking for something more comprehensive that talks about body image healing, health at every size, and intuitive eating, check out my Food Freedom 101 course. And if you're a professional in this space looking to learn more about how to do this work with your clients, but also how to do this work for yourself, check out my Anti-Diet Approach course for professionals. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Intuitive Bites. Hey guys, welcome to episode 60. For the show today, I'm chatting with Elise Resch, who is one of the co-authors of Intuitive Eating, and we are talking about what intuitive eating is and also how it has evolved over the years. So if you haven't already heard, the fourth edition of the Intuitive Eating book is coming out in June, so next month. And yeah, I just got to ask Elise all about like what has shifted through each of these editions and what we might expect to see in the new book. Uh, But it was also really fun to just talk with her about what intuitive eating is, what it means to her being one of the co-authors of this book. So I'm hoping this will be a nice intro episode for people who are newer to intuitive eating, but also just something really special um, to hear, you know, kind of some of those nitty gritty details um, about how it's evolved over time. Um, So also, if you haven't heard, Elise also wrote a book um, that's a workbook, and it's called The Intuitive Eating Workbook for Teens. Um, so that is an amazing resource. And she also co-authored with Evelyn Triboli um, the Intuitive Eating Workbook as well. So um, definitely highly recommend those resources if you're looking to kind of dig further into this work. Um, the Intuitive Eating Book is awesome, but the workbook really allows you to, you know, dig into your own stuff, your own history, your own food rules, and start to unpack those layers so you can start to heal from them. Um, So I'm really excited to share this episode with you guys. Before I dive into it, just wanted to mention that I'm hosting another webinar. Um, It's a QA and a format. It's on May 23rd, and the topic is intuitive eating and body image. So I've done a couple of these in the past couple months, um, and I've found just like so much feedback, like so much good feedback from you guys. And I had so many people register. So I'm really excited to keep hosting these and just kind of providing that that support and answering your questions. Um, So the cost of the webinar is $10. But if you don't feel like that's feasible for you right now, um, reach out to me via email, uh, the intuitive RD, like registered dietitian, the intuitive RD, Um, at gmail.com or send me a message on Instagram. Just let me know, hey, like I can't do that full fee um, and I'll just kind of allow you to pay what you can for the webinar. 
but if you are able to do the $10 fee, just go to my Instagram at the intuitive underscore RD, click the link in my bio and you'll be directed to register for the webinar. Like I said, it's actually Saturday, May 23rd. When I've done these episodes the past couple times, they've been on Fridays, um, but I find that that doesn't work for everyone's schedule. So we're going to do it at 10 a.m. Um, from 10 to 11 a.m. on Saturday, May 23rd. All right, guys, that is all I have for you right now. So let's go ahead and listen to my conversation with Elise. All right, Elise, we're good to go. I'm so excited to have you here. Can you please um, just kind of introduce yourself and a bit about the work that you do? Well, I'm happy to be here today as well. I love talking about my favorite subject, which is obviously <laughs> intuitive eating. So I have been a registered dietitian nutritionist, although I call myself a nutrition therapist. I've been doing that for 38 years. And um, prior to that, I was an elementary school teacher, which actually helps a lot in my work because I'm basically a teacher. And um, Intuitive Eating first came out in 1995, first edition. It's gone through second edition, third edition, and now the fourth edition will be out June 23rd. And um, for my training, I worked in a clinic with at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, working with developmentally disabled kids. And my plan when I got my, you know, my RD and all of that was to do that kind of work. And I was vendored by the regional centers of Los Angeles and, you know, best laid plans. I uh, didn't get those kinds of referrals, or if I did, they weren't willing to pay me, you know, at the time it wasn't even that high a fee, but um, I got referrals from so many doctors who were wanting me to help their patients with diabetes or high cholesterol or high blood pressure, help them lose weight. And um, intuitively, <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I never wanted to do that. I knew that there was a problem with it. And I had had my own eating disorder years before that and knew that dieting really messed up my life. And um, so I didn't know what to do. And I felt really uncomfortable with it. And what did I do? I gave them meal plans as we had been taught in graduate school. And I have a master of science in nutrition. And uh, it just, I don't know. It was not a good thing. I weighed people. I, I'm not embarrassed to say this now because this is 1995. So we're talking about 25 years ago. We all evolve and we have to have, yeah. in my opinion, great self-compassion for uh, mistakes when we look back that we made, but it was the best that we could do at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I weighed my patients. I gave them meal plans. I always said, this is not a diet. This is, um, you know, do whatever you want, but make sure you have these many servings of this at your meal. And if you want to substitute a cookie for the apple, that's okay. But you know, just one cookie and it was terrible. Yeah. And it's uh, for a while, it would be okay. Clients would come back. They'd be good little patients, you know, and do what they were supposed to do, and they'd lose their weight. And then I remember one particular young woman who came in and said, I, I can't do this. And she was compulsively overeating. And I didn't know what to do with her. I didn't know what to say. I didn't, I, I, it was very upsetting. And so that contributed to more of my discomfort in doing, you know, in doing that work. And then what continued with that was when patients would come back a year or two later, having gained all the weight back. 
around that same time, there was some uh, non-diet literature starting to come out. And it was coming out by psychologists mm -hmm. talking, or even lay people, talking about just give yourself permission to eat whatever you want. That may not have been their words. but yeah. And I looked at that and I went, whoa, how can I do that? You know, I'm a dietitian or a nutritionist. I know that healthy food's important. But then I'm a real lover of psychology, the psychological aspects um, of intuitive eating and my work have really been what I think has helped so many of my clients. And I started really understanding and looking at the psychology of why um, that was a good idea to give people permission. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I was gonna write a book and I started writing chapters. And uh, at the same time, Evelyn was um, sharing some office space with me and she doesn't live in the same city I do, but she was in LA once, once a week and she was writing a book. <laughs> and one day we happened to run each into each other in the hall and she was a bit unhappy looking. And I said, what's the matter, Evelyn? And she said, oh, I'm writing this book with a psychologist and she just can't write. And it was that moment of you know knowing and being that I just jumped in, I said, I'll write it with you because I realized that she was wanting psychological aspects that the, this other person was going to do. So that's, that was in 1993. We started, wow. you know, writing then and getting our contract and we had three different publishers interested in it and we ended up publishing it in 1995. So wow. that was the beginning of it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So that's like such an interesting piece of, of the story. So can you explain for people, because I've covered this, of course, on the podcast before, but I just want your response to like, what, how would you describe intuitive eating to somebody who is just learning about it? So what I like to say is that we're all, the majority of us, I mean, there are some kids born with developmental disabilities, but um, the majority of us are born with all of this wisdom to know how to eat. I mean, if you've ever had a baby or been around babies, you know that they, do you have children? No, I don't. <laughs> um, when they're hungry, they cry. I mean, they're telling you, feed me. And when they're full, they turn their little heads and they're done. And then when you start introducing solid foods, you know, around six months, when I, my son's almost 49 and when he, his pediatrician told me to feed him at two months, that's another story, but um, they know what foods they like. They know what foods they don't like. If you don't put any certain value on some foods and say other foods are not okay, they have a really uh, balanced and nutritional way of eating and they get to eat the play food, which I that's the fun food whenever they want. And I actually have a nice story for you. I have a client whom I've worked with for over 20 years who was severely ill with bulimia and alcohol abuse. And she's all healed now from that. But she has 14-year-old twin girls. And she said to me the other day, um, one of my daughters came to me and said, you know, mom, I didn't realize that you were a different kind of mom than other moms. And she said, what do you mean? And she said, well, yeah, I've been at my friend's houses and first of all, you, you give us lots of fruits and vegetables, but you don't say anything about how much, you know, how many cookies we could have, or you just let us have whatever we want to have. And um, so she said to her, well, you know, when I went, and they know about me, um, she said, when I went to see Elise, I didn't know how to eat. And she taught me how to eat. And then I was able to bring you up, the two of you up. And she, her daughter said to her, we please thank Elise. It was, so it was so sweet. But I have really, truly had the advantage of seeing my clients who have healed bring up their kids with this, you know, trust in their wisdom. So intuitive eating is a, 
uh, a trust that your body knows and to really listen to your body rather than being taken in by all, you know, diet culture and all of the noise around. But the best definition of intuitive eating, in my opinion, um, and people sometimes are confused about this, it's a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought. So if you think of a triangle and you, you know, put those three points on the triangle, it comes from way back in time when all we had was dinosaurs. <laughs> Uh, the dinosaurs only had one level of brain functioning, and that was called the reptilian brain, apropos. And that was instinct. That was what they had. They had the instinct to survive, and that's it. So when they saw, you know, another little dinosaur, they went for it, and they didn't have the thoughts of, oh, no, I shouldn't eat that. It's fattening, or I'm afraid to eat. They didn't have any of that. So that's the instinct part. And then when mammals evolved, the another layer of brain functioning uh, evol uh, developed, and that is called the limbic brain or the mammalian brain. And it sits on top of the this matrix, this base of instinct. And it's kind of right at the, the instinctual part of the brain is right above the brain stem. And then this sits on top of that. And so mammals, in fact, if anyone has a, a pet, pet dog or cat let's say <laughs> other than a snake um it, know that they have they have feelings you know they'll get really upset if you leave and you come back and they'll act out and but they don't have the words for it so that's the emotional part of the brain and that's part of intuitive eating and then what um differentiates us from lower level animals is the neocortex and this is the cognitive part of the brain so intuitive eating is not just instinct and there's a lot of misconception out in the world oh it's just about hunger and fullness and i'm a certified eat, uh, eating disorder rd and supervisor and i'm very upset when i hear people say you can't use intuitive eating in treating eating disorders because you know people are not nourished enough to know hunger and, and fullness well yeah, they might not be, but there's you know eight other principles of intuitive eating that, that, that can be um, really taught early on in treatment. So yeah, it, but I feel like that is a go-to for so many people. Like, oh, oh well, everyone, you know, many people can do intuitive eating except for if you're recovering from an eating disorder. Yeah. So it's not just about you know uh, hunger and fullness. It's about many aspects. It's about what you think about food, making peace with food, how you show respect to your body, how you cope with your emotions. Uh, in the fourth edition that's coming out, we have changed the name of that chapter from coping with your feelings without using food to coping with your feelings with kindness, mm. because there's been a shift. There's been a number of shifts. So um, I think that's the best definition because it encompasses your instinct to survive, your hunger, your fullness. But how is that then affected by your emotions and your thoughts? Because diet culture puts in so many distorted thoughts. Yeah, that is so helpful. Thank you for that. I think, yeah, yeah, I think that those other layers get dropped off by so many people and then you lose the, the integrity <laughs> of intuitive. It's also a weight note neutral approach and it, uh, you know, we uh, support health at every size and uh, it's an evidence-based approach. We have over 125 scientific studies validating intuitive eating. Um, in fact, there was a study that just came out early this year that showed that intuitive eaters from the begin is an eight-year study. So the longest study that's been done. Um, intuitive eaters who were intuitive eaters at the beginning of the study or those who started to become 
more intuitive with their eating. They had um, less risk of low self-esteem, of body dissatisfaction, of destructive behaviors to lose weight. I mean, intuitive eating has so many positive psychological and physical benefits to it. So there's that too. (laughs) Awesome. And there's, I want to say on the intuitive eating site, there's a, like a, a resource section, right? For a lot of these studies. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's a link to all of the studies, little, you know, little, uh, whatever you say, the little uh, brief <laughs> descriptions of them. Okay. Awesome. So I, I want to ask you about this new edition that's coming out. Um, it's planned to come out in June, right? The fourth edition. June 23rd. <laughs> oh, June 23rd. Okay. Perfect. Um, can you share a little bit about, I guess, just like in general, how, intuitive eating has evolved since the first edition and what we might expect in this new edition. So in the second edition, it was identical to the first edition, except there was a chapter on eating disorders that was added to it. That was it. So it was really, if somebody has the second edition, which came out in uh, 2003, I believe it's an old, you know, it's an old book Mm -hmm. by the third edition, which came out in 2000, gosh, I, I forget 2012. Um, we, Evelyn and I, my co-author and I, realized that there were some weight stigmatizing statements in that book that we just were not evolved enough to understand when we first wrote the book. And so we did a very careful update and editing of that book. However, come eight years later, you know, it, there were still some problems with it that we saw. So that's the main thing uh, in the editing is to take out anything that could be um, connected, you know, with, with anything that would feel like weight stigma in any way. And we talk a lot about weight stigma in the book and we talk about diet culture. That's, you know, uh, been an addition to the book. The other thing, uh, Evelyn's really the research uh, part of our team. And so she updated the research chapter with all the newest research and I had been the one who had written the Raising Kids and Teens as Intuitive Eaters. And so I added something to that called baby-led weaning or baby-led solids. And really what it is is intuitive eating for babies. It's, it's when that child at six months old is ready to put some solid food in their mouth. You, they sit at the table with the family. They sit around. They, they, they learn social skills by sitting with the family. Family if, is eating a variety of foods. They'll grab at something. Of course, the parent's job is to cut things in little pieces. Um, babies up until a year old really get all their nourishment from their milk. And so whether it's breast milk or it's formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's no worry about they will not be nutritionally fed if you just let them pick and choose what they want. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, it's a very autonomous process. And autonomy is one of the, I think, most significant psychological aspects of intuitive eating. And so just because a doctor thinks it's a time for them to eat a certain food. And as I was saying earlier, I mean, my pediatrician had told me to start feeding my son in two months. And so I got uh, brown rice. I ground it up in a nut grinder. I cooked it. I put it through a blender and stuck it in his mouth and he spit it right out because he wasn't ready to eat. (laughs) So, you know, I think that often um, it's the child that knows better than, you know, the pediatrician necessarily. So, and things change all the time. Things that were, people were told not to feed their kids like peanuts. You know, now they say if they feed them that, you know, like peanut butter, they'll have a better chance of not being allergic to it. So 
So um, there's a, you know, an addition to that chapter about baby led solids and I give references to the books that were written about it. I thought it was a, a really a great way to start feeding kids and then moving on to, you know, toddlerhood and ultimately till teens. Yeah, I get so many questions from people about that, like, you know, applying intuitive eating with their kids. And I think there's a lot of fear. There can be fear around it because I like in the early stages for people because they think, well, if I just let my kid, you know, eat whatever, then I know how, you know, they're going to behave in a really chaotic way. So I, I feel like I hear a lot of fear from people around that subject. Well, you know, there's a few circumstances. If you haven't had your child yet and you raise them in, a, in this way, there's, I can guarantee they're going to be just fine because of all the people I've seen. These, some of the clients, that, I have a client who was eight when we started. She must be out of graduate school by now. You know, there, um, so there's real life experiences of, uh, people who have really retained their intuitive wisdom. And then there are families that I've worked with where, you know, there was a lot of direction by the parents and I help the parents find ways to talk to their kids about making changes. And especially if kids are at an age where the parent can say, you know, I realize that you have all this wisdom about eating. So my job's going to be to make lots of different foods for you, things you like, and maybe some new things. And, your job will be to eat what you like of it, and I'm not going to direct you anymore. Now, I have seen some really great reversals of food fights in families. Wow. And, and then this fear, it's so interesting, this fear that kids will just only eat cookies, let's say. Yep. Well, that doesn't take into consideration the power that's taken away from the magic of the cookies when they're allowed. Kids from these families often see these play foods, as I call them, as special treats. They call them treats and they maybe can only have a certain amount of them a week or they have to eat all their broccoli, their vegetables before they can have it. When you take the power, that mystical power away from the food and it just becomes ordinary and kids know they're going to feel safe and have it whenever they want, they don't go overboard. They might for a few weeks because they're not trusting that this will always be there, but eventually it just becomes part of their eating. And this actually also stems from the concept of habituation, which um, is a big part of intuitive eating, meaning the definition of habituation is that the greater the stimulus, the lesser the response. So the more you have of something, the less exciting it is. And I will tell you, the first week or two of being at home doing this work now, uh, it was kind of exciting to be at home more. I hardly get to be at home. And now I've been at home for three weeks. I'm dying to be in my office or to be out there you know, doing some of the things I've done. So um, with food, the more you have the freedom to have whatever you like to eat, and you know it'll always be there. Food security is a very important piece. And I do want to say as a sidebar right now, or maybe not even a sidebar, that if someone doesn't have food security, then it's very hard to be an intuitive eater, to be able to feel safe that you're always going to have that food. And a lot of that's coming up right now, actually, with people who, yes. you know, food scarcity, not being able to get the things that they really like to get or not knowing when they're going to get them. Yeah, I, I, I see that talked about often about, you know, obviously how food insecurity has an impact on a major impact on this process. Um, but also, you know, I, I guess like 
I want to make, I, I always try to make it clear to people that like there are still in, in the same way with the eating disorder, you know, people who are struggling with an eating disorder or recovering, there are still elements of this, you know what I mean, that, that can be worked on, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, especially how we talk to ourselves, you know, how we respect our bodies, how we, how we learn coping mechanisms, mm. you know, and there, there's many aspects of it. Uh, something I have said, and I actually said it at a big talk I did for, uh, Evelyn and I gave at the... Um, Fancy meeting, which is the food and nutrition conference and exposition uh, that the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics puts on once a year. This was in Philadelphia last year. Thank goodness it was before this whole COVID thing. Uh -huh. We had well over 2,000 dietitians that came. And one of the things I said that day was that intuitive eating is a privilege. And so we have to be very aware of it and not, uh, you know, not be um, in denial about the people that don't have food security. Yeah, so helpful and definitely pertinent right now. Um, Elise, first of all, I want to thank you so much for everything you've shared. I'm excited to share this with people who listen to this podcast. Can you give your advice to someone who is brand new or just heard about intuitive eating? Like what, what would you recommend for that person right now? Yes. So um, I would say start thinking about satisfaction when you're eating. If you uh, put your focus on hunger and fullness, that's going to be very difficult to do because uh, it can bring you into worrying about doing it right. You know, there's no right or wrong with intuitive eating. But if you put your focus on how can you get the most satisfaction and joy from your meal, it's going to help you have an entry into intuitive eating because I believe that it's the driving force of intuitive eating and it affects all of the principles. For example, uh, if you're looking for satisfaction, you're probably not going to eat, uh, this is my favorite uh, little um, you know, note on it, is you're not going to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich as you're walking into a restaurant, your favorite restaurant for your favorite meal. And when I say that to clients, you know, I'll say, would you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on your way? And they go, well, no, I 100% have said that. I've never had anybody say, yes, I would. <laughs> and I'll say, why? And they say, well, because the food will taste so much better if I'm hungry. And so intuitively, they know that eating with a, a certain level of moderate hunger is going to give them the best satisfaction versus if they haven't eaten all day, they're all excited, they starve themselves all day and they can't stop, you know, the bread basket goes in a minute, they're not even tasting it because they're in primal hunger and being driven by the survival part of the brain that I mentioned earlier just to stay alive. So um, kind of right there, it informs hunger and fullness. If you're already full, from eating and you have the security to know you can get that food anytime you want and you won't restrict yourself from it, you'll also know that it's better to stop then because the food's not going to taste very good when you're already full. Mm -hmm. So helpful. I, I think I mean, you guys mentioned that a bit during that presentation at Fancy. I was there for that. Okay, yeah, I was there. Um, but that was so helpful. And I feel like it's really shifted the way that I work with, with, you know, my clients on intuitive eating, just like this focus on satisfaction. I feel like it's, um, I don't know, I feel like sometimes the hunger fullness stuff, particularly the fullness stuff can be like a slippery slope for people who are still in diet mentality. You know? No, I completely agree. And I probably we should have switched everything around. I, I, we did switch. We went to satisfaction before fullness. Uh, so we switched those two principles around, which I thought was very important. Mm -hmm. Hunger, if you feel hunger, it's accurate. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to worry about that. But the fullness one's hard to come to unless you're thinking about it in terms of satisfaction and food security and having you know made peace with food. And all. Yeah. 
Definitely. Um, so Elise, can you share where people can find you and any stuff that you're working on that's, that's coming out? Well, they can't find me at my office at the moment, but yes, my, uh, my email address is eliseresh at gmail.com. Very easy. Uh, there's the intuitive eating website, which is intuitiveeating.org. And then I have a personal website that has lots of things I've written and spoken uh, that tells a little bit more about me. I have a whole link to something called words of wisdom from all my years of being on this planet. Uh, and that's eliseresh.com. Awesome. Great. I'm also a little bit on social media, uh, at Elise Resch. I'm on Instagram, but very barely. It's not okay. my <laughs> Good to know. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. This is awesome. You're welcome. Thank you, Kirsten. Oh, I hold on a second. All right, guys, that is a wrap on this episode of Intuitive Bites. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Elise. And as I mentioned before, check out her resources, the Intuitive Eating Workbook for Teens, um, the Intuitive Eating Workbook, and also just check out the Intuitive Eating Book. The new edition is coming out in June, uh, but you can check out the, the third edition, the current one, uh, right now if you'd like to. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode as well, uh, if you are interested in that Q&A webinar, $10, register for it. Um, via the link in my Instagram bio. Uh, and you can reach out to me if you don't feel like that $10 fee is feasible for you. And I'll make sure that you can get in there. All right, guys, I hope you have an awesome week and I'll talk to you soon.